Well, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Dr. Greg Juckett. I'm a family physician, um, a professor at West Virginia University, and I direct the WVU International Travel Clinic uh, there. I also, in addition to vaccinating people to try to keep them well on their travels, I also see ill-returning travelers if I didn't do my job quite right. And, they, they, you know, people do get sick in spite of your best of, uh, intentions. But the wonder about vaccines and the revolution that they have has happened in medicine is that we can actually prevent so many of things that people are exposed to. How many of you uh, are involved in travel medicine? Any hands? Okay, a few of you. And I think, you know, vaccines are have certainly been in the headlines uh, today uh, to a large degree, both uh, good and, and bad press. But uh, we're going to be talking today about some of the routine, recommended, and required vaccines needed in travelers, including how to get people protected in uh, a short period of time. Because one of the problems with travel vaccination is procrastination. <laughs> and you know that people will show up at your office and want to uh, uh, get vaccinated for various diseases. And you ask them when they're leaving on their trip. And they'll say, well, I'm catching the flight this, this afternoon. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's the position we're often put in. Uh, we're going to talk about some newly available travel vaccines and how to utilize them and also vaccine use in some special uh, situations for people. Vaccines have been in the headlines some recently. Uh, you know, the uh, CDC basically just recommended the quadrivalent HPV vaccine uh, for 11 to 12-year-old males uh, to prevent uh, HPV transmission and anal cancer. And this is in addition to their recommendation to females um, the jet injectors were talked about for flu vaccine, but really they're only approved for use with MMR vaccine in the United States, not influenza vaccine. And they're far from painless. If any of you have received a jet injection, uh, you will know what I mean. Um, there's a new Japanese encephalitis vaccine that I'm going to talk about. The old JE vax is off market. If any of you are planning to work Long-term in Asia, uh, Japanese encephalitis is a disease you need to know about. And uh, Ixiaro, uh, this new uh, cellular-derived uh, vaccine, is uh, the only vaccination option in the United States now. Our current supplies of JEVAX have all expired. I'd like you to know that vaccines do not cause autism, okay? And the uh, Wakefield uh, Lancet article in February of 98 has been shown uh, to be a fraud. Uh, most of the, as a matter of fact, all of the cases had been altered and there were major ramifications. It was a major embarrassment for Lancet. But that link with autism, of course, created a snowball effect in the world of vaccinations that many of us are still dealing with. And I was standing in line at Walmart recently uh, and I heard somebody evangelizing against vaccines uh, to the parents of small children in the line. Uh, and I just couldn't stop myself. I had to step up and give the counter-argument. So this poor, hapless person with her kids there had, you know, you know uh, the, the so-called devil and the angel on the other side uh, tying their cases, and they were just wanting to check out. But uh, the... Uh, but it's still a big issue uh, in uh, our area. Uh, newer vaccines are coming out. Uh, Menveo is a new meningitis, uh, quadrivalent meningitis vaccine that's out there. You may not know that the age range at which you could give meningitis vaccine for Menactra was just reduced down to nine months of age. So there are things that you do have to keep up to date with because these recommendations keep changing. Another change that happened last year was they changed the post-exposure rabies vaccine from five doses to four doses. So now you only need four doses of rabies vaccine, which does save you a lot of money. Okay? The Centers for Disease Control Health Information for International Travel 
this is the one book, you know, if you see travel patients, I really recommend that you get a copy of this. It's available online, but there's really no substitute for a hard copy in your office. It costs about $35, and it is a, uh, just a wonderful source of information. There's pre-travel consultation, post-travel consultation uh, information, but there's also in the appendices a travel vaccine summary table that is very, very useful. And if you want a, a one-stop shop place for vaccine information, that uh, appendix is, is very, very helpful. There are also tables for yellow fever and malaria. And one important innovation is a lot of travel patients you will see are going to specific destinations. The person going to um, visit uh, Angkor Wat in Cambodia, for instance, or climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, or trekking in Costa Rica, or visiting Cusco and Machu Picchu in Peru. A lot of your travel patients fall into those categories, and they have very specific sections talking about the risks for those itineraries that you're going to see over and over again. A wonderful thing. Now, there are other color books, too. In addition to yellow, we've got pink and red. The pink book is uh, Epidemiology and Prevention of Vaccine-Preventable Diseases. So this is the vaccine book. It, too, is about $35 and is a good investment. And then the uh, AAP's American Association of Pediatrics Red Book, which is an infectious disease resource, has a wonderful vaccine status table that you can get online, and I've included the link uh, for that. And you can indeed get the whole Red Book online at this other link. So now... The CDC has an advisory committee on immunization practices, the ACIP, and they're the ones who put out general recommendations for vaccine. They're the ones who recommended, you know, a few years ago that every American child should get hepatitis A vaccine in addition to hepatitis B vaccine. Uh, of course, most of you have not had hepatitis A unless you've, you're traveling to a developing country, but... Uh, they are the ones who come out with recommendations like uh, young boys getting a Gardasil uh, vaccine or the quadrivalent HPV uh, vaccine. Now, in travel vaccination, we have several problems. In the United States, if you were raised by a mother who didn't believe in vaccinations and you didn't get your, your vaccines and somehow you escaped the school system requirements, to get your MMR vaccine, you would be protected by herd immunity. In other words, uh, there's not a lot of measles in the United States for you to be exposed to. Uh, of course, there are periodic outbreaks on college campuses. But in general, by living in this country, you have some indirect protection because all the people around you are immune. And, uh, but when you venture outside of the United States and visit Africa, on a short-term mission, that situation changes. And if you're vulnerable to chicken pox or measles or something else, the herd immunity is gone, and you are suddenly rendered vulnerable. And uh, I don't, don't think people realize that completely. We've talked about procrastination. We try to see people about a month before they, they travel. Uh, and there are three categories of travel vaccinations. They're the, most of them are what we call recommended vaccinations. Hepatitis A is a very important recommended vaccine in that it's very easy to acquire hepatitis A from contaminated food or water. You have major morbidity and misery with it if you do get it. However, no country requires that you get hepatitis A vaccine, uh, and it's not, or at least until recently, it's not a routine vaccination in the United States. So, so that would be a recommended vaccine, highly recommended, but not essential. A required vaccine, an example would be yellow fever. Until recently, you had to get a yellow fever vaccine to travel to Bolivia, even if you're not going to a yellow fever area in the country. Just to be able to enter the country, you needed it. You need yellow fever, of course, for visas for many West African countries, and uh, indeed, for crossing borders from uh, one country to another, it's necessary. We had a patient who was flying from, to Tanzania, uh, and Tanzania has a history of yellow fever, but there hasn't been a case 
I think, since the 50s or 60s. So they're no longer mandating the vaccine for travel to Tanzania. But the uh, family is passing through Addis Ababa in transit to Tanzania. And by passing through a yellow fever country, even though they're not leaving the airport, they are required to have yellow fever vaccine when they arrive. So there are political ramifications for this, and it's, it's required. Routine vaccinations would be catching up on your tetanus, or, uh, or if somebody is not adequately vaccinated, to make sure that that is corrected uh, before, they, before they go. Now, some vaccines we give are live, and it's important to know which vaccines are live and which vaccines are killed. Live vaccines are usually contraindicated in immunocompromised patients um, because they may be more vulnerable to these attenuated strains of pathogens. And also in pregnancy, we try to avoid live vaccines. And uh, measles, mumps, and rubella, of course, is a very good example of a live vaccine. You uh, certainly want to avoid that in pregnancy. Flu mist is a live nasally applicated uh, vaccine. Uh, oral typhoid vaccine. You, you take live typhoid bacteria and remove the virulence factor, in effect neutering them. Uh, but uh, when you take oral typhoid vaccine, you're swallowing an enteric-coated capsule of live typhoid bacteria that are released in your intestine and mimic a natural typhoid infection, a very effective way of giving somebody typhoid immunity without making them sick. But an immune-compromised patient getting this uh, bug might uh, perhaps cause some illness. Varivax or varicella vaccine is a live vaccine, and yellow fever vaccine is a live attenuated strain of the yellow fever virus. And this is one that scares me a little bit because there have been over 50 cases worldwide of viscerotropic or actual yellow fever induced by this vaccine in elderly patients. 65% mortality rate, similar to avian influenza, uh, from the uh, vaccine-induced yellow fever. Okay? So people have occasionally died from this, although it's, it's rare. So don't give yellow fever vaccine unless, in elderly people unless you are sure that it's really needed, I think. Now, cholera vaccine is something that only aid workers need, but there's been, there was an outbreak of cholera in Haiti, which you probably remember hearing about. And, of course, we have lots of people working in Haiti, some of them long-term, who wanted a cholera vaccine. Um, there is no... U.S. licensed cholera vaccine, the, the cholera vaccine you may have been familiar with was a very poor vaccine in the United States. It was taken off the market quite some time ago and was not that effective. There, are, uh, uh, there is one vaccine that's available now called Ducaral, which is an oral beta subunit cholera vaccine that uh, uh, you can only get from Canada and Europe. It's not licensed in the United States. Interestingly, though, we have uh, there are clinics in places like Toronto, which will be happy to vaccinate you for this. And you can also order it online through the Canadian drugstores uh, with a U.S. Uh, prescription. And it's got an interesting dosage regimen. Basically, you add these granules to 150 mLs of water, and then you add the vaccine suspension. You drink it on an empty stomach, basically. And uh, then... Uh, it, uh, it basically not only protects you against cholera to some degree, but it halves your risk of getting enterotoxigenic E. coli, which is the number one cause of traveler's diarrhea. So it also reduces your incidence of traveler's diarrhea. At the same time, it protects against cholera. The curious, and, and it's available online. I, I was checking the prices uh, for $46 per dose. It's usually two doses, though that, that uh, you take, and three doses for, for kids. And usually the doses are, uh, at, you know, uh, one to six weeks apart and at least a week prior to going on the trip. But I might recommend this for somebody working with cholera patients. In real practice, only aid workers in camps where there are cholera outbreaks 
and people working in outbreak situations really need to bother uh, getting cholera vaccine. And it's, of course, a bit of a hassle because it's not licensed in the U.S. The vaccine that I recommend to everybody who's going abroad is hepatitis A. Um, there are two brands, Haverix and Vacta, which are really interchangeable. Uh, and this vaccine, I think, is, is really critical. If people haven't had it, you're doing them a disservice by, by letting them travel without it. How do you get hepatitis A? It's fecally orally spread, or as I tell people, you get it by eating poop, okay? And they look at me and say, I have absolutely no plans, Dr. Juckett, of eating poop. And I tell them that, well, there are several ways you can. You know, one is you're, you're bathing in that nice ocean near Cancun and uh, enjoying the surf, being unaware that villages are discharging raw sewage into the ocean nearby. And that mouthful of seawater you get might be your hepatitis A exposure. And there's a one-month incubation, so you get sick about a month after that with the illness. We, uh, the guy fixing your sandwich in the back of the restaurant where you don't see into the, the kitchen may come from a village without toilet paper, and he may not be in the habit of washing his hands. And so he might have stuff under his fingernails that gets into your your sandwich, okay? Not pleasant to think about, but a reality of travel in the developing world, and this is why we give hepatitis A. As a matter of fact, uh, some of you are probably familiar with uh, the restaurant chain, you know, Chi-Chi's, or that shut down near, uh, and has gone bankrupt because the salsa that they imported from Mexico had hepatitis A contamination, and over 600 people got ill and three or four died uh, from, from that uh, one outbreak. And it basically ended the, the chain. So even our food travels now and, uh, and can get us in the United States. This is approved for, for kids who are over one year of age. Uh, it's now recommended for all U.S. children after 2006, uh, uh, and so it's a routine childhood vaccination. And eventually, of course, as these children grow up, they'll be protected. It's a two-shot series. We like to give a booster dose six to 12 months after the first shot. And as you know, if you miss getting the booster in the recommended period of time, you do not have to start over again. Your immune system does remember, and you just you know, catch up by giving the second dose when the person comes in. And usually that's when they're traveling again on another trip. There is a special pediatric dose, which is half of the adult dose that we use uh, for uh, children under 18 uh, years of age. So there's a pediatric and adult hepatitis A. And, of course, this is common throughout the developing world, but relatively uncommon in the United States. Yes. Uh-huh. For life, if you have the booster. After the first shot, after a year or two, your immunity starts to wane a bit, and it'll come right back up and be, we think it's lifelong after the second shot. Now, there is no recommendation yet. You know, the shot came out in 1995, and it is possible that 30 years from now, you know, they'll say, well, we, we recommend a booster after 15 or 20 years. But, but right now, two shots are all we recommend. Just like for hepatitis B, it's a three-shot series now. And we don't recommend continued uh, boostering, even for healthcare workers who continue to be exposed. Hepatitis B is harder to catch than hepatitis A, but it spreads through body fluid contact, through unprotected sex, through getting tattoos or needle sticks. Um, sexual transmission is one of my main concerns, although I cringe when I see people in the Chiang Mai night market lining up to get cheap tattoos uh, there. Uh, even if the ink is sterile, the, the uh, needle is dipped back into the ink and may contaminate it. Uh, but hepatitis... Uh, B is an important vaccine for student travelers in particular if they have not had it already. We're dealing with a Christian population 
uh, I think, at this conference, but uh, I work a lot with students at WVU, and I can assure you that travel has a sexually disinhibiting effect on sexual behavior when people go to a place overseas, and a lot of people have sexual contacts that you would not believe, and that is not just true of students, but also other travelers as well, I'm convinced. So it's not just your your men who have sex with men population at very high risk, but also your heterosexual population can be at very high risk of acquiring hepatitis B and bringing it home. Now, obviously, for short two-week trips, it's usually not a big issue for the typical tourist, but for longer term, six months or more travel, or any anticipated sexual or body fluid exposure, we do recommend this vaccine. And highest risk destinations would be China, Sub-Saharan Africa, and the Amazon. Uh, of course, it's a standard pediatric vaccination, so many of our patients have already had it, except for older people. Uh, it's given at zero, one, and six months, always in the deltoid muscle, because if you give it in the gluteal muscle, you don't have good antibody response rates. And so remember, give this in the deltoid. You can accelerate the regimen. Uh, say you've got somebody going abroad to the mission field. You want to get them vaccinated. Uh, you can give it in, in 0, 7, and 21 days, or even 0, 1, and 2 months. The problem is, is that you want to boost them with a fourth dose in that situation in 12 months. But with the 0, 7, and 21 days, you can actually get 65% uh, zero protection by day 28, and that increases to, you know, basically 100% by after the, the booster. So you can give them significant protection in a short period of time if you don't have time for the full course uh, before they go into a risk area. It is safe in pregnancy, although it's considered just precautional. And... Uh, Again, this is a vaccine that I think everybody should have. Yes? Why is it the only one we give at birth? It's, it is given at birth. Why is it? Well, we know, you know, I asked that about hepatitis A, which has to be given at one year of age. Hepatitis A at birth does not produce good antibody response levels. At one year it does. Hepatitis B seems to provide good antibody responses uh, even at birth or it, at least it boosts very well. And I think they've decided that giving that first shot at birth allows them to get started, you know, uh, before they lose the baby. You know, they, at least they get that first shot in. Um, with hepatitis A, giving it at, at one year, uh, a lot of children still today are not getting their hepatitis A vaccine, uh, either because the pediatrician isn't aware or they're not coming in at the right time for that well-child visit. Yes? On hepatitis B, there's some uh, uh, maternal fetal uh, <coughs> passing of the disease, too. Yes, so and they want, they want to protect the infant from yeah. a mother who is a hepatitis B carrier as well. Because, as you know, the younger you are when you're exposed to hepatitis B virus, especially if you're exposed at birth, the more likely you are to be a lifelong carrier of hepatitis B. And we have a lot of foreign graduate students from China and from Africa who are hepatitis B carriers who shed the virus, although they're not sick themselves. They are a risk to their sexual partners uh, who need to be vaccinated. Uh, and it's because they were born to mothers who had hepatitis B and weren't vaccinated. So good point. Again, hepatitis B, Amazon, uh, Asia, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, and paradoxically, in Inuit and Native American peoples in the far north, uh, also a lot of hepatitis B. If you want to provide hepatitis A and B protection uh, uh, in one shot, there is a Twinrex or AB combination. Uh, there's no pediatric option for that, but uh, uh, you can also give this 0, 1, and 6 months, or 0, 1, and 2 months with a 12-month booster, or if you're really pressed for time, 0, 7, and 21 days, just like hepatitis B, uh, to give protection. And if you do use the Twinrix option, you'll be pleased to know that even after the first shot, you get 93% hepatitis A antibody uh, protection. So if you just give one shot before they go, 
they are protected against hepatitis A. So hepatitis vaccine indications, A, any travel to a developing country, really, where there's fecal oral risk. Hepatitis B is longer-term travel, although I believe everybody should be immunized against B if they can afford it or are willing to. But any sexual exposures certainly warrant it. And certainly your gay population should get hepatitis B protection. There is no vaccine against hepatitis C. C seems to be a fairly mutable virus, and it's going to be a real challenge creating a vaccine for this, just like with the HIV virus. Hepatitis E, though, is another story. And just so you know, hepatitis E is a fecal-oral hepatitis like A that is especially widespread in Asia. It's a problem in India and some other countries. Um, It... uh, is notorious for causing fulminant, often fatal, hepatitis in pregnant women. And so it's a concern if your wife, you know, at a mission station is pregnant and she happens to get this, it could, it could easily be a disaster. Uh, 20% third trimester mortality in women who are infected from fulminant hepatitis. There is a vaccine uh, prototype for E. It's not available commercially yet but they do have an effective vaccine in, um, I think, stage three trial right now for E. And it may, we may not see it licensed in the United States for travelers for quite some time because uh, the market is limited. Flu vaccine. I hope all of you have gotten your flu vaccine. You know, the Centers for Disease Control no longer just recommends this for the very young and the old, but now has recommended that everybody consider getting flu vaccination. Uh, And although flu vaccine is very much a wintertime condition in the northern hemisphere or flu illness, in the tropics, flu can occur year-round. There are major flu outbreaks in places like Madagascar that occur uh, throughout the year. Uh, And in the southern hemisphere, if you're going to New Zealand, obviously it occurs at the opposite time of the year during their winter, which would be our summer. Um, and flu vaccine, of course, is made in eggs. So egg allergy or an active neurologic disorder like Guillain-Barre would be uh, a reason not to, to give uh, flu vaccine. But really the Guillain-Barre was only a problem with the 1976 swine flu vaccine administration. It really has not been a big problem since that time. Uh, This is given IM in the deltoid muscle at least one month before flu season. And it is okay to give in pregnancy, uh, unlike a lot of vaccines. Yes? You talked about the southern hemisphere. If you have someone who's traveling to New Zealand in July, July, you recommend they get a flu vaccine. And where would it be available? Well, we hold the, the flu, some doses of flu vaccine as long as we can before they expire. And usually they expire. There's a, a, a place somewhere in like late July, August, uh, where we don't have them before the new batch comes in, you know, in September or October. Uh, but usually we can give vaccine, you know, through the early half or first half of the summer. And the same strains that we use in our flu vaccine are considered protective for the other hemisphere as well. Uh, So we do consider it an important vaccine for travelers, in part because there's so many different diseases like dengue, fever, and malaria that often present like flu, and it can reduce the confusion that you get by by eliminating that cause of illness. And, of course, there's also flu mist. This is how to win friends and influenza people. There's also flu mist or the cold-adapted live intranasal vaccine uh, for people under the age of 50 and over the age of 2. And it's more expensive than regular flu vaccine, but if you have somebody who's needle-phobic, this is very effective. Just spray half in each nostril and with the patient upright. Cold adapted means that this virus is able to grow in the, the, the nose, nasopharynx, but it cannot grow at core body temperatures. 
So although it's a live vaccine, it usually will not be able to colonize the body to cause uh, influenza. Japanese encephalitis, interesting disease. Um, do any of you work in Asia or plan to work in Asia? Okay, some people here. This is trans a virus that's transmitted in Asia by Culex night-feeding mosquitoes. And curiously, when we do serological studies, it's actually much more widespread than we thought the virus was. It's rare in American travelers. There may be one case per year that's really clinically significant in U.S. travelers. So it's a rare disease. You're not likely to be exposed to this. But if you get clinical encephalitis with Japanese encephalitis, there is a substantial risk, probably 30% of dying uh, from this, and probably another 30% have permanent neurological sequelae. And I remember caring for a young, healthy um, uh, ex-military guy in, uh, in um, India who was paralyzed. He was hemiplegic from Japanese encephalitis. And his whole life you know, was changed irrevocably at that point by having this disease. So it's a rare disease to be clinically significant, but if you get it, you know, there's a two-thirds chance that you'll be either killed or scarred by it. The majority of cases, just like some of the uh, mosquito-borne viruses here, like West Nile, are subclinical with Japanese encephalitis. And I, I, I don't think we fully realized that in the past. Which travelers do we consider Japanese encephalitis vaccine? Well, we consider it for people who are going for a month or more of travel, especially in rural Asia and especially during the summertime because this is being mosquito-borne as a summer May through September disease in, in much of Asia. The, uh, it's rare in U.S. tourists, uh, as I said, but for long-term expatriates, the medical missionary going to work in Asia uh, or the businessman, uh, who's going to be there, we recommend it. A lot of people have mission headquarters in Chiang Mai, Thailand. The Chiang Mai Valley has a very high rate of Japanese encephalitis during the summer months. And as little as one month stay in Chiang Mai during the summer might warrant getting Japanese encephalitis vaccine. Now, the cost of the vaccine, both the old vaccine, which was called JEVAX, and the new vaccine is quite substantial. Uh, the new vaccine is $200 per dose, and you need two doses. So that's $400. The old vaccine, uh, JEVAX, manufacture ceased in 2005, and all the supplies ran out in May of this, past, of this year. So there's no JEVAX available. And by the way, JEVAX was the only vaccine with a pediatric indication. The new vaccine, ICSI-RO, has no pediatric uh, uh, indication. It's for 18 and above. Uh, the JEVAX and the new vaccine are boosted every two years for people who continue to be at risk. The new vaccine is a significant improvement over the old. Uh, JEVAX was made from mouse brains, and uh, people sometimes had delayed anaphylaxis with this. Uh, it was given widely in the military, and people with a history of urticarial reactions sometimes would anaphylax days or weeks after getting the shot, sometimes fatally. Um, and so there was a restriction on the JEVAX. We wouldn't give it uh, unless somebody could be kept in the U.S. or a state would be in the U.S. for at least 10 days afterwards in case they had a reaction, they'll be available to, to care. We wouldn't let them go on camping trips during that 10-day period. The new uh, Japanese encephalitis vaccine is a varicell culture inactivated vaccine, and it's not uh, associated with that delayed anaphylactic reaction that sometimes occurred. Uh, there is... Uh, a two-dose series, it's 0.5 mLs IM deltoid given 28 days apart 
$200 a pop, which is pretty discouraging for a lot of people who, who want to get it. Uh, it uh, doesn't have thimerosal, but some people react to the protamine uh, in it as a preservative. They don't really know the, the duration of the vaccine yet, nor do they have an official recommendation on the boosters. It was two years for JEVAX. People are estimating two years for this, but it may be much longer, actually. Uh, and uh, it has become the vaccine of choice for the long-term expatriate traveler to Asia. The problem is we can't give it in kids. And JEVAX, which we could give in kids, is expired. So what do we do? And there are several options for people who might find themselves dealing with a family in this situation. Uh, and, you know, you do deal with families who are going to be living in Chiang Mai or other Asian cities who want their kids protected against this disease. One option is to enroll them in a pediatric clinical trial at one of five U.S. sites. That's not too practical, but it is an option that you can have, and you can go to the NIH clinical trials webpage to find out. And hopefully these trials will be successful and they'll have a pediatric indication for this vaccine soon. The other thing is to use it uh, off-label uh, uh, in children under 17. And, of course, if there's a reaction, the company won't necessarily stand beside you uh, with that. But uh, there, are, there is some good evidence that indicates that it is probably going to be safe in kids if you want to take that, that risk. And it can be discussed with Novartis, the manufacturer of the vaccine. Uh, or you could send them to Asia to get a non-FDA-approved Japanese encephalitis vaccine in Asia uh, usually by going to a clinic there. Not only does that have the advantage of being much less expensive for them, but they also can get it legally. And that's the option that I would recommend to you right now. There are a number of vaccines there. I would recommend the cell culture-derived vaccine from uh, uh, Japan. And there's also a live vaccine in China, which is attenuated, and a, a mouse brain uh, vaccine from South Korea. So there are a number of vaccines out there, but the Japanese varicell culture vaccine is approved in kids and can be used overseas, just not in the United States. Okay? We also sometimes get rabies vaccine pre-exposure by sending them overseas. In case you were wondering exactly where uh, Japanese encephalitis is, it's uh, located in this part of Asia and the areas in yellow are seasonal, and the areas in green tend to be year-round. But obviously, if somebody's going to Chiang Mai in January, December, uh, or in the winter months, it's really not necessary to worry about it. A word about the uh, MMR vaccine. Uh, it is live, uh, and if, if your patient was born after 1956, they probably... Uh, not had wild measles. That was the watershed year in the United States. Uh, you do need to know that both the MMR and probably the Verivax or chickenpox vaccines will suppress a PPD reaction for about six weeks afterwards. One curious thing about live vaccines I mentioned at the beginning is that they need to be given together or four weeks apart. Does anybody know why that is? It seems like the first live vaccine you give, if it's MMR, it seems to preoccupy the immune system. So the immune system is sort of focused on making antibody to that. And then if you give a second vaccine like yellow fever after a week after the MMR, you don't get proper antibody response to that. It seems like the body can only do one thing at a time, you know, walk or chew gum, but not both. And, uh, and so it seems to suppress the PPD reaction. It also seems to protect, suppress antibody responses to other live vaccines if, if given afterwards. Meningitis vaccines, we've got a choice too. 
but the, there are two types of vaccines out there. There's the old polysaccharide vaccine called Menimmune, which was effective for about three years. And then there was Menactra and Menveo. And Menveo vaccines has, has just caught up with Menactra in terms of being approved for ages 2 to 11. Uh, and then Menactra jumped ahead by getting approval down to nine months of age. And Menveo is trying to get approval for nine to 23 months as well for that first year. But meningitis vaccine, uh, for all practical purposes, Menactra and Menveo can be viewed as quadrivalent conjugate vaccines. Now, conjugate vaccines are more effective than polysaccharide vaccines. They produce a better antibody response, and, uh, and uh, I certainly recommend that we give those in place of the Menimmune. If you're going to Saudi Arabia on the Hajj, the religious pilgrimage, you have to get um, meningitis vaccine for your visa to Saudi Arabia. And it's recommended for travel to sub-Saharan Africa between December and June during the dry season. Have you heard of the meningitis belt of Africa? It's in the Sahel region of Africa, south of the Sahara. And this uh, is basically uh, where you have outbreaks of meningitis C, meningococcal outbreaks, which uh, the dusty dry season conditions uh, provide ideal um, ability of the bacteria to be transmitted from person to person. So if somebody sneezes, their nasal secretions bind to the dust and are carried in the dust from person to person. That's why it's a dry season uh, disease. Polio vaccine, you know, you'd think we wouldn't have to worry about this. It's been eradicated from the Western Hemisphere. We were on the verge of eradicating polio from Africa and its last hangouts. And then we had a problem occur. And the problem occurred in Kano State, Nigeria, after there was a rumor started that we had uh, people had put contraceptives in the vaccine to sterilize the Muslim population. Uh, and there was widespread panic. Uh, some Islamic leaders forbade the use of polio vaccine in 2003. And there was a consequent outbreak of polio after vaccination in northern Nigeria ceased. Uh, it jumped from Africa uh, to India and Indonesia with shopkeepers who went back from Africa to visit their families and carried the polio back there. So a major resurgence of polio, a real black eye for the polio uh, movement, all due to cultural mistrust. Now, they had an ingenious way of solving this problem. They're giving polio vaccine now in Muslim Nigeria, but they were able to find out that they would agree to get uh, vaccine from fellow Muslims in Indonesia. So the, the va vaccine that they're giving now in Nigeria is not manufactured in the West or in Europe, but manufactured in Indonesia, and uh, they, they trust. But that gives you an idea of how far mistrust has gone in, in the world. In a more humorous situation, uh, they burned a huge shipment of USDA surplus cheese on the docks at Columbia. Can any of you guess why? It had con preservativo, or with preservatives, stamped on the boxes. Well, preservativo is sort of slang for condom or contraceptive in Latin America. And so it was read as queso, you know, with contraceptives, basically, by the dock workers who went into a panic and burned all this perfectly good cheese. That's a humorous example, but there are also less humorous examples, such as this polio issue. We're running out of time, but I don't think we have an immediate conflict. I'm going to talk a little bit about rabies. I strongly recommend rabies pre-exposure vaccine, three doses for people who are taking kids overseas uh, to the developing world. Uh, it is critical, I think, that they be protected. Kids are drawn to animal contact and often do not report an exposure, especially a minor exposure. And uh, the expense has become prohibitive with the IM vaccine. Uh, it is, uh, the price went up again this, this past uh, 
summer. They no longer make the intradermal vaccine in the United States. And what you may not know is that the uh, Rabivert and the Imovax, the two types we have, the IM, 1 ml of the IM vaccine equals 10 doses of the intradermal vaccine, which would be 0.1 uh, cc's uh, given subcutaneously uh, or intradermally. There have been some people who have said that you could give pre-exposure with three ID doses using the IM vaccine, and several papers have been published on this indicating that you have protective antibody responses. And some of the physicians that we work with have actually immunized themselves uh, using uh, the intra-IM uh, vaccine, intramuscular vaccine, but being able to vaccinate at least three people with one dose. Uh, and, uh, and although medical legally I can't recommend that, uh, uh, and, and intradermal vaccine is only used for pre-exposures, I think that uh, it's something you think about. For families with a lot of children who are going, I often recommend that they get the vaccine overseas. And we have certain vaccines that we recommend, like Verorab, that you can get quite inexpensively overseas uh, while they're, uh, it costs about $800 to get the pre-exposure vaccine in the United States, which a lot of missionary families just cannot, cannot support. And again, I mentioned that the post-exposure vaccination is always IM in the United States, although it is intradermal overseas, uh, and it's been reduced from five to four doses. Tick-borne encephalitis vaccine is available in Europe, but is uh, not available in the United States, and this is only recommended for adventure travelers in uh, uh, Eastern Europe and Siberia, including the Far East. And you can see where tick-borne encephalitis is in pink. Japanese encephalitis is in blue, and yellow fever is in yellow. Typhoid vaccine, we have two options. There's an oral vaccine, which is live, and a, a polysaccharide vaccine, which is killed. Now, I mentioned polysaccharide vaccines are less potent in inducing antibody, and, uh, and this injectable vaccine is only good for two years. It's not the old uh, typhoid vaccine that you may have remembered from you know, 20 years ago, which was quite uh, uh, toxic, I think, in terms of the reactions it caused. What I recommend is the oral vaccine, which is one capsule every other day for four doses, and it's good for a five-year period and replicates the natural exposure to typhoid and uh, is less expensive as well. Both vaccines, though, provide only 70% protection. And so you need to be aware that you can still get mild cases of typhoid, uh, fortunately milder than you would otherwise, if uh, you've had the vaccine. And I recommend this for three or more weeks of travel in primitive conditions or any travel to South Asia or Southeast Asia, even for shorter trips. And we've seen several cases of typhoid uh, in our clinic. Tetanus, we're going to just skip over. You know that tetanus, diphtheria, and activated pertussis or the Tdap, either Boostrix or Adacil, has pretty much replaced regular uh, tetanus uh, diphtheria in most of our patients right now and has the additional advantage of protecting against whooping cough. And I wanted to, to cover or mention varicella. Remember that although adults have always had two doses recommended a month apart, children, many children have had only one dose because one dose was all that was recommended until more recently. And now a second Varicella dose is recommended for children because it's found that the first dose seems to run out about the time that they're adults. And uh, again, uh, this can affect the PPD reactivity for about six weeks uh, after a, a dose is given. Another live vaccine. And lastly, yellow fever. Yellow fever is the required vaccine. 
This is for travel in tropical South America and tropical Africa, especially West Africa carries the highest risk. And uh, it's spread by the Aedes aegypti mosquito. We've forgotten how horrible yellow fever was. It had at least a 20% mortality rate. Like flu vaccine, it's made out of eggs, so egg anaphylaxis would be a contraindication. It's given subcutaneously, not IM, and boosters are required every 10 years. Now, here we have a yellow fever stamp, and there are special yellow fever centers. And we're periodically inspected uh, by the Centers for Disease Control regarding our storage conditions uh, with yellow fever. You cannot give this vaccine to infants. Uh, we, we recommend not under nine months, but six months would be an absolute contraindication because it can cause an encephalitis-like condition that can be fatal in young children under six months of age. We also are very careful to screen for immunocompromise in patients. First injection. And uh, that is because of yellow fever vaccine-associated viscerotropic disease, or basically vaccine-induced yellow fever. I mentioned a 65% case fatality rate in the 50 or so cases that have been reported. And uh, again, it tends to be somebody who's ill or on chemotherapy or somehow immunocompromised when they get it. They usually get sick within three days uh, and then usually have a downhill course uh, thereafter, even with the attenuated strain of the virus. We, we give a lot of yellow fever vaccine. I'm not, and I've never seen a case personally. But I'm just letting you know that it is out there. It is something to be uh, on the lookout for. The countries that are at risk for yellow fever, and this is not projecting well at all uh, here, is the sub-Saharan Africa, but South Africa and Zimbabwe are not affected by this. Recently, people going to Zambia do have to show proof of yellow fever if they come back into South Africa, even though the risk of Acquiring the disease there is very small. And the tropical portion or northern South America also carries a yellow fever risk, uh, but not the coast of Brazil. It's usually the interior. So that's a quick whirlwind view of uh, travel vaccination and some of the new developments there. If any, I think we're very much out of time, but I appreciate your attention. And if any of you have any questions, please feel free to come down and talk to me afterwards. I'll I'll hang around. Thank you.